millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, that's right. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds with myself, Ollie Gill, and of course, Arnold Schwarzer. And Arnold, it was, uh, last week was a little bit of a different occasion where we combined forces with uh, the Gagan Pod. So it was a little bit of a four sharp Gagan Pod special, but it's just us two now this week. Do you, upon reflection, how do you feel? Are you excited that it's just us two or in a perfect world, would you like a few extra additions or how, yeah, what's the mindset going into this episode? It just, for me, last week felt like, obviously, you know, you led the way quite a lot, as you always do with our show as well. You're, you're very, very selfish in that regard, sure. I have to admit. Um, last week was as if we had a get, two guests on. Uh, yeah. Bridgie was our main guest. And then we had Dave Wiener, who is the, the presenter of the gig and pod, loitering with intent in the background. Yeah. But the only difference is we haven't got that loiter in, in, in the background. That's gone. Yeah, that's and gone. We don't have to deal with Bridgie's poor humour and lack of any sense when he talked yeah. about football, let's be honest. It was, it was, a, it was an interesting <laughs> experience. As I said to you, I went, well, I'm just going to have to throw a question out there and whoever gets in first is the winner. It was a little yes. bit of a free-for-all. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, I think most of the time, you know, I know that when you, when you actually did do the recording and put it up, you've, you've had to add a, a link to subtitles in case people can't understand what Bridgie's saying. Um, <laughs> I certainly would need to use it. Uh, yeah. No, listen, Bridgie, Bridgie, Bridgie's a good guy. Mate. He's, um, he's good fun. He's good to have banter with. And he knows his football. So I yeah. like to give him a lot of stick, but he's a good guy. And he knows yeah. his stuff. Absolutely. So that was, of course, a Premier League preview going into uh, this restart of the Premier League coming up in just a few days' time. So if you haven't listened to it, you can either go to our channel, Two Shut Reds, or, of course, Gagan Pods for the same episode uh, to get that preview into you. Uh, today, we'll be focusing on a few of the weird and the wonderful stories that have uh, been catching our eye over the last seven days. But before we get into the football, Mark, uh, let's talk about the wine that we're having today. I've gone for a McGuian Estate Merlot from South East Australia. Um, it's, it looks nice and cherry ripe, quite dark from the outset, but I'm looking forward to it. But what have you gone for? I've gone for a, a Spanish wine. Um, it, you know, it's getting to Spain. It's getting to, to to summer. I'm itching to get across to to Spain, um, but unfortunately, at the moment, still the borders are closed. However, I've got a Faustino uh, Seven, number seven, it is a Rioja, and it's a Tempranillo uh, mm. type of grape. And it's uh, I've I've had it many times before, so it's not my first time that I've I've had a, a bit of this drop. It's a it's a delightful drop. Very easy. Very light. Very nice to drink, particularly in Spain. Love to put it in the fridge when it's really, really hot in, in Spain. And, really? Uh, so, yeah, so it's okay chilled? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Any, any, any of those wines that are really light and yeah. nice to have a drink, and, and I don't mind having it chilled. Fair enough. I mean, it, yeah, you've clearly lost touch with the common man, but that's okay. <laughs> There's certainly nothing wrong with that. And speaking of, you, you, you say you're itching uh, to get back to 
to Spain, but we were talking about earlier, you've got a, a running machine, is that right, that, that takes you on tours of different countries. You're currently in Costa Rica. Um, can you set it to different countries like that or have you just got the Costa Rican version? Or could you no, go no, running it's got, it's got Spain? literally it's got thousands of different places you can go and run. There's, a, there's an Iberian, yeah. Iberian uh, running uh, part or trek that they do. So I'm at the moment doing a Costa Rican 5K training program. So yep. to, to run for a training to, to run for a proper 5k race. And, uh, I, this is actually, I'm, I'm into my third time going through it because I had a couple right. of stop starts. Uh, my last treadmill decided I didn't want to work anymore. <clears throat> maybe, I ran it. maybe I ran it into the ground, who knows? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and now I have a new one and I'm back on it. And I started today, day one, there's a seven-week program, 35 runs. So, yeah, it's good fun. Can you simulate a run through Mowbray, Tasmania? That'd be nice. Start off in the KFC car park, go past the cricket club, uh, yeah, come back through McDonald's that would and then probably, back to the car park. That would probably get you to run more quickly, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah correct. Honest. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. why you're asking. I don't think there is a Tasmanian uh, run on there. So it's, just, it's, it's through iFit. And these guys run all over, well, guys and girls, there's different trainers for different people, different types, yep. and they run all over the world. It's, it's pretty remarkable, and you, can, you run with them. So they're running in front of you in the screen, and you're just running, and the, 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 uh, the treadmill alters depending on the terrain. Well, until we get to run around Mowbray and have a look where Ricky Ponting used to live, I don't want to know about it, but it sounds good. <laughs> Mark, cheers. Let's get into it. Absolutely. Cheers, mate. So, Mark, a pretty new story that came out this morning, Monday time here in England from, from Marcus Rashford, who is quickly becoming everyone's favourite player. So, a bit of a double-edged one for you. One, do you think that Marcus Rashford is becoming the people's player? Because he posted on social media today, it was an open letter to the government um, talking about the free school meal vouchers. Um, he has raised around £20 million now to supply 3 million meals to vulnerable people while working uh, with the charity Fair Share UK during this coronavirus lockdown. Now, he is a young lad at Manchester United. He has got a lot to think about, but the fact that he's caring so much about this and, and, and doing so much at such a young age, for me, he's, he is becoming the people's player of the yeah. Premier League. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, it's far too often we hear the, the negative stories about footballers and what they get up to, breaking lockdown, uh, curfews and so, all sorts of stuff, rules. Um, <clears throat> to have a player like Marcus Rashford, still very, very young, but obviously very mature, very in touch with, with, with the real world and to, to care so much, to, to really you know, have, have a fantastic initiative to try and help raise awareness, try and help raise money, for the vulnerable is a, is a very, very worthy cause. And you know what? You've got to take your hat off to him. And, and mm. I, 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 I give him my vote for being, being one of the, the people's players, people's people, you know, vote because yeah. he's been brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I suppose the thing with it is from a, just from a fan or a football perspective, especially with Manchester United, is you go, well, all right, if someone's willing to do that and raise that amount of money, I don't really care what they do, where they play, if they're doing it, then you just you, it's like that's that's the main thing. Having said that, from a deeper level, looking at Manchester United, we saw Ole Gunnar Solskjaer talk about you know he doesn't want a bad apple in his bunch, and we know the attitude of Manchester United's been questioned for quite a while now. I watched MTV Cribs last night with Jesse Lingard and was less than impressed with with some of his humour. And you just think, you know, what a great ambassador for United in a time 
that's been well, it feels like they've been a transition period for a while, but they're certainly on a they're I feel like they're transitioning into a really positive time and a positive era. And how perfect is it to have someone from their academy shining on the field but also off it? It's brilliant. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that is, you know, again, one of those stories that needs more airtime and it's brilliant that he's doing it. It's brilliant that he's got the level head on his shoulders, that he's uh, the willingness to, to go out there and support the community, you know, and being the, being the fact that he's from the area, he's been brought yeah. through the academy. It's brilliant. It's, it's such a, a positive story and a wonderful story. I mean, Jesse Lingard, like you mentioned there, it's funny, you know, that, that kind of just kind of, you know, it kind of typifies where he's been and where he's at right now in football, isn't it? I mean, it just hasn't worked for him for the last 12 months or so, whether that's to do with the fact that he hasn't been playing enough, but he also hasn't been scoring. And, and basically, you know, he's in the team to score goals. And if you're not creating at the very, very least, and they're not scoring, then, then there's only one, one place for you to be. And that's at best on the bench. And, and, and Jesse Lingard's found himself in that sort of position. So I think it's a great example of two players that have kind of heading in two different directions, really, yeah. at Old Trafford, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking of the, the crib show, uh, I'll ask you, is it appropriate to do, do you think, for an athlete? Because... I mean, maybe, maybe it's okay, but you know, I watch, say, a Snoop Dogg MTV, MTV Cribs, and it's like it's super funny. And you watch Fifty Cent, and you go, "Wow, you know how the other half lives," sort of stuff. But watching Jesse Lingard just walk around his house, I just, I don't know what it was. I, just, I, I, I mean, I'd watch it if you were on it. I think that'd be brilliant. I'd love to see a Schwartz special. <laughs> uh, I'd love to do it. It'd be mate. over pretty quickly, but you know, that's okay. It's not but, happening, what, mate. I'm not doing one. <laughs> What what are your thoughts though? Is that I, I just wonder too much into it or yeah, I just wonder the the American Cribs right with Snoop Dogg and and the rest of them who have been on it. I, I I enjoyed watching it as well. I have to admit, I really enjoyed watching Snoop Dogg episode. All the the American ones of uh, you know people's houses is brilliant. I just wonder whether the American public feel the same way about their version but really love the football version. You know, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know. Is it the fact that they're here in this country, they're more accessible, um, we cringe a little bit more to, about it? I don't know. Do, does the rest of the world actually really, really like it and think it's amazing? Yeah. And it's an insight that they, they never get to see. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, but I, I, for one, don't think it's a great series. I, I don't think it is anywhere near the level of the original, uh, you know, uh, Cribs in, in, in the U.S., yeah, I don't know. And I think as well, just cross-culturally, when you know, Americans generally celebrate success a lot better than Australians and British people do in general. Yep. And so specifically someone like Jesse Lingard, who's not, as he touched on, certainly not fulfilling his end of the bargain when it comes to goals and assists. But then you look at his house and you just go, you know, if I was a Man United member, you know, putting in hard-earned money into to a season ticket and you see that, you go, mate, it's not fair. Sort yourself out. You know, Rashford, different. I think, again, yeah, the question like, is, you've though, earned the rights. Yeah, but the question is, when were they? When was that actually filmed? I think that was filmed a couple of years ago. I, I actually don't Do you think... Reckon? Yeah, I don't think that's new. I, don't, I think it's more about timing. I think the fact that yeah. it's, you know, they're, they're opening up the vault and they're showing a lot of old episodes because they haven't been able to produce anything new in this, in this pan, during this pandemic. So I actually don't think it's a current. I think it was yeah. at a time when he was doing really well for United and he was seen as this next big superstar coming out of Old Trafford. Unfortunately for, for Jesse Lingard and, and United, that kind of have, hasn't eventuated. And the timing is everything. 
Yeah, timing is everything in football when it comes to any anything outside the game. If you, if Ozil was to do it at the moment, I'm sure some Arsenal fans <laughs> would, would cringe. I think from what I've seen, there's going to be an episode at some point with a Bumiang, and he's certainly one guy that, as an Arsenal fan myself, you go, yeah, you, I, I wouldn't mind seeing your place because you have earned every single dime with the goals and assists and what he's done as captain since becoming captain as well at Arsenal has been yeah. outstanding. But, but, but I'd like to know your, your take on the current situation. He's, yeah. he's been captain. You know, you, you, you say, this is a guy that could walk away for free. Mm-hmm. So are you happy that as, that, as being a, uh, an Arsenal fan that one of your most valuable assets is, 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 is there's a chance he'll walk away for free? Surely, you know, uh-huh. your, your attitude must change towards him. Not yes. that I'm begrudging him. Not that no, I'm, no, no. I'm not begrudging him whatsoever because he's well within his right to do so. And if, even, mm-hmm. if he, even if Arsenal were to offer him an amazing contract, even if they were going, right, we're going to go out there and we're going to give you an Ozil-style contract, and he yep. turns it down. That's his prerogative to do so. Yeah. The thing is, yeah. football fans don't see it that way because it's their club. They don't, you know, they feel like, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's obviously a, a, a negative take on their club. How do you not want to sign for the great Arsenal? And I, I understand yeah. that. I understand that perspective. You take it personally, don't you? you, you you're spot on. You start to, as a fan, you go, well, why wouldn't you? you start, yes. <laughs> it's, it's very yeah. confusing. And, and it's perfect time to bring it up. We saw in the last 48 hours, he's made these comments um, so to quote from Aubameyang, he said, I haven't had an offer recently, but I did speak to the club quite a few months ago um, and they know nothing else has happened. He said, it's a turning point in my career and I want to be honest with everyone. Arsenal have the keys, but it's up to them to do their work. And after that, we'll see how things go. It'll certainly be a very difficult decision to make. Now, when it comes to saying it's a difficult decision to make, I don't think it's a difficult decision wanting to sign a contract in general. He wanted to come to the club from Dortmund. So, I, you know, I think he's pretty happy in that regards. But he's 30 years of age. Given the way he plays as well, he's incredibly quick. So you don't... I, I can't see him... You know, within the next three to four years, he'll obviously slow down pretty rapidly, you would have thought, the way he plays. So this next contract, you would have thought, Mark, will be the last of his big competitive move. He, he might have an MLS move, a trip to China, something like that, maybe even the A-League, who knows? But in terms of proper, proper European highest quality uh, contracts, this is the last one. Yeah, and he's right in what he's saying. So, you know, he left Dortmund to go to Arsenal, Premier League, in the hope that something great, bigger and greater will, will happen. You know, that they'll go on and win things. They obviously got to the Europa League final and lost to, to, to Chelsea and lost convincingly. So have, have they, does, he, does he see in the near future? Because like you said, how much longer has he got? Are Arsenal prepared to give him a three-year contract? Are they willing to, to, to risk that on a player? Risk, I say risk in inverted commas, on a player that has been, you know, statistically you can't argue. The, guy, the guy's delivered. It's not as if you, you watch him and think, Actually, he's dropped off a little bit and he's not as good as he was when he first arrived. He's, he's arguably as good, if not better, from when he arrived. So do Arsenal go out on a limb and go make the same, make a mistake like they did with Ozil and like they, they, were, they, were, they almost did with Sanchez? You know, so th- that is also weighing on, on their minds. And then you kind of look at it and you go, well, does Arsenal, as, as a 30-year-old, do they decide, you know what, let's sell him. Let's try and get whatever we can for him. And... Let's go for a younger version. It, it, it all comes down to Mikel Arteta. It all comes down to what his ideas are. 
does he want to keep in our Birmingham? Does he believe that? You'd be crazy not to want to, though, surely. Well, it depends, on what, it depends on what happens around. I mean, listen, I am assuming he would want to desperately keep him. If he's made him captain, mm-hmm. or he's continued with him to be captain, I would assume that he must feel like he wants to keep him around. Because if he didn't think he's the right attitude, or unless he's just playing the game, unless he knows he's managing the situation, and that's what he gets paid to do, the manager. Maybe he's clever enough to manage it and go, you know what, I actually don't really want to keep him beyond this, but I want to keep him as captain because I want him to make him feel like he's important. He's one of my senior players, and he's got to be the right example, and he's going to still score his goals. So maybe he's playing a really clever game. You know, we just don't know. We don't know what Aubameyang's like behind the scenes. We don't know what the relationship is like mm-hmm. between him and Mikel Arteta. You know, all those things get taken into consideration. And obviously, the financial side of it is, is a yeah. huge aspect of it. But all things being equal, you know, if the manager then decides for whatever reason, you know what, rather than spend however much money it's going to cost to, to, to keep him at the club, which I imagine it's going to cost a fortune, they may be able to bring in two or three younger players for that sort of money. Yeah, so absolutely. He's got to then weigh up. What do I want? You know, do I want to keep an Aubameyang that's going to score me a lot of goals every year? But maybe we'll get frustrated and want to leave after six months because we're, we haven't got quite the team together that maybe we'd all hoped. You know, so he's got to find, he's got to work out what, he really, what their, prior, their priorities really are. Yeah. And, and I think that point there is key because looking at the quotes he made, what do you make of when he said, Arsenal have the keys, but it's up to them to do their work. And then after that, I'll see how things go. So can you dissect that into either, I mean, there's one, which is they need to do their, their work in terms of just coming up with a perfect contract. Like that's up to them. But then also, is there a, is there a level of that saying, you know, from a deeper meaning, going, well, if you want me, you've got to do your work elsewhere as well. I, you know, I, I need I, it's a combination. It's a combination. I think Arsenal have made him an offer that he doesn't feel is, is, is probably meeting his demands yep. or close enough to meeting his demands. But probably believes that, you know, that, I'm sure that, that I, I, I reckon he would feel that they could get to a point where he'd be happy to sign, provided the rest of the environment falls into place. And, and for me, that's a clear indicator of, you know what, you've got to do some serious investing. You've got to do some serious restructuring, new personnel, better players, and then come up with a good deal. For, if you show me you really, want to want, you really want me to stay here and we're going to compete for stuff. I, don't yeah. want to, I can imagine him thinking, I don't want to stay here and earn still very, very good money, uh, but, but just compete. Just be there or thereabouts and never really, really compete and never really be in the hunt for something major. Whereas he may have an opportunity to go, you know what, I'll go to China and earn four, five, mm. you know, ten times more than what Arsenal have offered me. And if I'm going to win something there, it's, you know, and not trying to be disrespectful, it's only in China. Yeah. Even though it, does sound, it obviously sounds very disrespectful. But in terms of Premier League and the Chinese Super League, I mean, that, that's what yeah. I'm trying to, trying to explain. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And can you confirm or deny that one of his... Uh, demands is that he gets Mark Schwarzer in uh, for strength and conditioning uh, and to take him on runs through Costa Rica. Because I did hear that. I did hear that. I, I, cannot, I can neither confirm nor deny that that's true. I think it'd be a perfect fit. Imagine yes. that. Yeah. Yes. The, only, the only problem is, you know, it is Arsenal. Mm. I mean, they did have a chance in the past to sign me and they didn't. Is that right? No, yeah. you've never, you would have told me this. In 2010, where were you? Was your head in the sand? 
Mate, you have not told me this story. Oh my you god! I'm not mate. even gonna go there. I'm not even gonna go. Give me a, give me an abridged. You've got version. Google. You got Google. Look it up. Give me an abridged. Come on. No, that, that was well known. Like in 2010, we 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 uh, got to the Europa League final with Fulham. Um, Arsene Wenger wanted to sign me, and there was a there was a you know the, a difference in valuation. I was 37 years old. Arsenal were prepared to pay four million, and and Fulham wanted 10 million for me. And right. it was really just Fulham digging their heels in and going, well, if you want him, you're going to have to pay that because we know he's not worth that, but he's worth that to us kind of thing. You know, he's not that yeah. worth it on the market, but he's worth it because otherwise we've got to replace him. And, you know, there's all that sort of stuff. So there was a compliment there from Fulham because they were desperately wanting to keep hold of me. And Arsenal, I can understand, didn't want to go that extra bit to, to try and find even a compromise in the end. And I did conf- I, it had been confirmed by Arsene Wenger. He did tell me that it really? was. Yeah. He told you? Yes, because I asked the question. His last game in charge away at Huddersfield where he was managing Arsenal. And my very last question to him was, right, Arsenal, I've had all these opportunities to interview you and it's your final man- uh, job as a manager uh, in this country at Arsenal. I said, just can you, can you tell me how much, how much, how much was the, how true was it? You know, because, you know, you've got agents involved and you're getting told stuff. I never had a direct contact with Arsenal right. at the time because I was still at Fulham under contract. But your agent tell you, tells you things. And then you, you kind of second, you question it sometimes. Anyway, so I wanted to know. And I asked him and he confirmed it. He just said, you were too expensive. <laughs> that is the ultimate compliment. You would have, you, would you have gone? You would have, you know, At the time, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, he was signing me as a number one. So, you know, I was, I was going to, you know, 37 years old, had a chance to go to, to Arsenal as a number one. And I number was like... One. Yeah, I was I was desperate to go. Yeah, absolutely. so who was number one at the time? Uh, they, they had Al Munya. Uh, yeah, they had, they had um, uh, Fabianski was number three, and Chesney was there as number two at the time. Yeah, and, he, and they were, he was swapping and changing a lot. And the start of the season happened, and and Al Munya didn't didn't play particularly well. They lost away at, uh, at Liverpool. A couple of goals were questionable, and I know that they were they were then very very keen to try and bring me in. It kind of got on for a while. My the, the problem was for me. The, the thing that messed me up was that Roy Hodgson, when the, the first initial offer came in or the, the inquiry came in, he was the manager, and I spoke to him. He rang me. I didn't know anything about it. He called me and said, this was three days before the World Cup began in South Africa. And he called me and said, listen, Mark, we've had an offer from, from Arsenal. He actually said the Arsenal because he calls it the Arsenal. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and, I said, respect. and I was just like, oh, wow, really? Like, wow. Okay. And he said, you know, I want to do the respect. I wanted to ask you what, what were your thoughts on it. And I said, Roy, I said, I had an amazing time, you know, at, at Fulham. Yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely amazing what we've accomplished. And I've loved working for you. But, Roy, like you said, it's the Arsenal. And I've never played Champions League football at that time, you know. And I wanted to play at the highest level, the highest, highest I could possibly get. And I said, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. So I said, of course I want to do it. And he went, yeah, I thought you'd say that. I understand. Absolutely. He says, well, well, listen, you know, we, we'll, it'll happen. We'll make it happen. And he said, uh, we just got to get someone in as a replacement, but it'll happen. And I was like, brilliant. And then what happens is Roy goes to Liverpool and I'm still at Fulham. Nothing's happened. And we went through a whole period of probably about six weeks. We didn't have a manager. Mm-hmm. So it was in, it was in, we were in lingo the whole, limbo the whole time. And it wasn't until... Uh, two weeks before the start of the season, they appointed Mark Hughes as a manager. And my first meeting was with Mark Hughes was knocking on his door after training and going, Hi, um, Gaffer, how are you going? Nice to meet you. I said, um, 
I'm just going to get to the point, mate. I, I know there's offers from us and I, and I want to go. I said, you know, I spoke to Roy when he was manager. He said I could go. I know you're a different person. You're the new manager, but it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and I want to take it. I need to take it. You know, you of all people must understand. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity. And he basically said to me, there's only one way you're going to be able to go, and that's if he gets the replacement that he wanted to replace me before I could go. And I said, do you mind me asking you what it was? And he said, yeah, it was Shay Given. And if he doesn't, and I said, what happens if he doesn't want to come? And he says, well, then you're not going. And as it turns out, Shay Given turned it down, and I, I, was, I wasn't going anywhere. And that's how, it was, that's how it was killed in the end. This starts to make a lot of sense as to your animosity towards Arsenal because I didn't know I've how badly I, you wanted to go I there. Have, you I love Arsenal. Zero, You're a gooner. This I makes have so zero much animosity sense. towards Arsenal. No, zero. no, but you a little I bit. I just like giving you stick because you're an Arsenal fan. It's not directed at Arsenal. You love, no, you love it's Arsenal. Directed at you. I love, listen, I like all clubs. Man, I, haven't got a, I haven't got any animosity against any club. Newcastle? No. I think so. No. I mean, have you watched Sunderland Till I Die? Yeah, I've got a bit of animosity towards them after watching it. I don't. I actually don't have any animosity towards them. I'm I'm actually quite saddened of their plight, you know? I think having three North East clubs at the highest level is brilliant. The rivalry, the the, the derbies are insane. So, you know, from that aspect, I I don't. I have respect for them all. Brilliant. Would I I have gone? Would I have signed for them? I don't know. Well, as in Sunderland? Yeah, or, would I have signed them? I mean, many players have done it before. I suppose if all things being equal and as an opportunity and circumstances, yeah, probably would have. But that never, that never, never arose. Same with Newcastle. I think this is an appropriate time to take a halftime drinks because just the thought of having an Arsenal shirt with Schwarzer on the back, I mean, that <laughs> got me right up. That would have been brilliant. So would, it be, would it be weird if I just did that, if I went and bought a goalkeeper Arsenal shirt and put Schwarzer on the back? Yeah, that would be weird. Would you sign it if I did that? No, it's weird. You really? Do you think it's weird? You could almost you could put you know maybe you could put my name and then in brackets underneath almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And the years yeah. that you potentially could have been there from almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah almost. almost. I like that idea. Yeah. Um, speaking of of having respect for football teams, I just want to take this moment to have a bit of respect for one of my favourite teams, Crew Alexandra. They're going <laughs> up. Uh, it's been. It's been, a, it's been a wild ride uh, for my, my crew boys. I wanted to ask you, though, because I'm a bit confused on this whole thing, right? Wouldn't so, be the first time either. Yeah, you know, correct. It's like playing a game of Monopoly. got no idea what's going on. So trying to make sense of it all. The Premier League is governed by their own governing body, right? Then when it drops down to the championship, then you've got the AFL, which is championship, League 1, League 2. League 1 and League 2 have decided... We'll curtail it. These are the teams going up based on points per game. Yep. So brilliant. No worries. Crew go up. But Championship are going to finish their season. Yes. What I don't understand is when the EFL, looking after three leagues, can make a decision based on two of them, and then the third league is a standalone ruling. That, I, for me, doesn't make any sense. I, I, think, I think it's all to do with money. Yep. I think it's all to do with the clubs in the championship are in a better position financially to be able to afford all the testing, all the, all the things that they need to do, all the requirements they need to put into place to make sure that it goes safely ahead. I think my understanding is the League 1 and League 2 teams, I'm not saying all of them couldn't afford it, but there's a lot of them who would rather not pay that For sort sure. of money. And also because of 
the financial situation, the fact that they haven't been able to play games, they haven't had revenue in through the gate. I think they would rather take, you know, take stock, re reevaluate, redo everything and start the start of the season again as normal. Yeah. So that's my understanding it comes down to money. But that's where their credibility takes a huge hit because I, I, I understand that. I think that, but it comes that, to a that, vote, that though, sense, doesn't it? But... It goes to a vote, doesn't it? So each yep. each league will vote on it. So even though the the EFL will will put a suggestion forward, it's all based on the the, the general consensus of the, the the group of the main of the teams and the, the the teams in the competition. So it's not just like they're all up in arms because no one's playing. I mean, of course, the biggest debate, and, and this is the travesty at all, is the teams that get relegated, like Tranmere being relegated off the base of a points per game thing. You know, they weren't in, they weren't in a bottom three position at the time. You know, that, that's the travesty that you've got teams that are clearly being relegated when, you know, any of the teams have been relegated. I have to be honest, any of the teams have been relegated I've, and, and it's on a points per game basis, I feel sorry for it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a travesty because, you know, listen, let's take the example of Leicester City in 2000 and. Uh, 14, 15 season. You know, if if the if the league had stopped at the same time, Leicester were down and gone. Yeah, ten games to go. Leicester were miles adrift. That won eight out of the last ten games, and drew one, lost only one game, and they stayed up on that form alone. Mm. So, and that that's not something. I mean, that is a little bit of an extreme. But there are more, more often than not, you'll have teams, whether it's in the lower leagues, whether it's to do championship, league one, league two, um, but certainly in the Premier League, that'll go on runs. They'll go on yeah. runs and actually get themselves out of, out of a, a position where normally they're gone. They're dead and buried, gone. And unfortunately, that's not, there's no chance of that happening this time around with, with those competitions. I just, what, I just go back to, to what I feel my, mm. most frustrated about is that travesty is the correct word, but if the EFL are in charge of making decisions for three leagues and they choose to make decisions for League One and League Two, and that's a totally different situation if you're in a relegation battle in the championship. You, you, I just think it's frustrating and totally destroys the credibility of, of the whole system when you can, um, if, if they're in, so you go, okay, yeah, it's going to be a travesty no matter what, but. How unfair is it that League One and League Two don't have a chance to, to get out of it, but uh, they do in the championship? But like I said, it went to a vote. So the majority would have voted in favour of not, not fulfilling the season. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's the case. I mean, my understanding, just another example in the A-League in Australia, my understanding is that I think there's, there's quite a divide between the clubs. Uh, who wants to continue and finish the, or restart the league and finish the season and those who actually want the season to, to, be, to be halted right now? Yeah. There's a bit of a divide in it. There's but not as much on the line, though, in that circumstance. No, you're right. In terms of relegation. But all I want to say is that my, my point is that it's the clubs who are making mm. those decisions will ultimately vote on the, on the decision. And, and that's exactly what's happened in the championship as with uh, League One and League Two. And for me, it comes down to finances. It comes down to the lower you, the, the lower you go down, the less money there's involved. But that money that is involved is even cr- more crucial to those teams' existence. Yes. So Absolutely. the running of the clubs day-to-day, they've been, all the, any reserves that many, any of them have had have been exhausted. Now, Mark, last night we saw a big milestone for one of the all-time greats to play the game. Uh, it was the return of La Liga as well with Real Madrid. Uh, they resumed their La Liga campaign um, in what was a, a pretty pretty dominant 3-1 win over Abar. 
but it was also Zinedine Zidane's 200th game in charge of the club. So it begs the question, will he, when it's all said and done, will he be remembered as a better player or do you think he's on the right trajectory to become a better manager? I think it would be unfair to, to, to draw a line over it now. But is he on the right path to be a better manager or will his CV as a player uphold uh, as being better? Listen, he's still got a long way to go to match his record as a player. Obviously, his record as a player spanned it over a longer period of time. World Cup winner, European, you know, European Championship winner, Champions League winner with um, Real Madrid in 2001, 2002. And he scored that unbelievable volley, the winner against Bayer Leverkusen. And I remember it now. Unbelievable finish. And there's a whole list of other accolades that came, come along with all that throughout his career. I mean, it's so long to list. You know, World Player of the Year, like three years in a row, I think it was. Um, <clears throat> but he's managing Real Madrid. So one would argue and say, well, it's one of the biggest, if not, you know, one of the biggest, one of the best clubs in the world. Finances, everything at your disposal. But listen, to win the Champions League three years in a row, that takes something. There's something special about that. I know, I know in, in, in Spain as well, Madrid, Barcelona, they really, I mean, the Champions League is one thing, right? And they hold that in a high, high regard. But winning La Liga is probably their number one priority. And for, for Real Madrid and Barcelona, it's, it's a kind of a given that both of those teams, they're at the beginning of the season, right? Our number one priority is to win the La Liga title and then win the Champions League very, very closely behind that. So I, I still think he needs to do more as a manager. But he's, yeah, I think, he's, I think you're right. I think he's on the path to becoming, a, oh, how would you say it? I mean, it's hard to say, is he on the path to becoming, uh, he, he's, he's on the very beginnings of a path that so far looks pretty amazing, his record as a manager. So- so when you say he needs to do more, what does he need to do? Does he need to? I think it's a longevity. You know, when you talk about Sir Alex Ferguson winning the amount of domestic titles that he's won, won the Champions League. Um, you know, is he is he of the same level already at that? I don't think so. Um, you know, Jose Mourinho to win Champions League at two different in two different clubs. Am I right in saying so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Inter yeah, and yeah. Porto. Um, Winning domestic titles in all those countries, Zidane's done it at Real Madrid. Yeah, which don't get me wrong is a f- phenomenal uh, record so far, but it's also one country, and then that's the argument. That, that that sort of that kind of goes over to the the argument about Ronaldo and Messi. Yeah. You know, Messi's been at the one club, arguably again, arguably one of the top two teams in the world, top two biggest clubs in the world, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Barcelona, his whole time. He's had some unbelievable players around him, unbelievable managers. So is it as remarkable as what Ronaldo's done? Mm. You know, winning, winning the Champions League with, with uh, Real Madrid, winning titles in Manchester United, Real Madrid, and at Juve. You know, I don't know. I don't know. How, how do you compare? Well, you, know, you would know, coming from Australia... Germany, then to I, England. I, I, I wouldn't know, mate. Parts. Because yeah, but I wouldn't know because I haven't won titles like those guys have, and I haven't no. played in the Champions League finals like those guys have. So I wouldn't know. But in terms of how do you judge it from the outside, and someone that I suppose has a bit more of an incline and experience and played Champions League, played in the semi-final, but know what it's like to play at the highest level, how difficult it is. 
and and the difference between those guys and everyone else is quite remarkable. So I I think there's almost like a blanket you throw on all of them go, they're all unbelievable and they're all equally as amazing. And yes, you'll have an argument to say he's better and I'll have an argument to say that he's better, but they're all unbelievable. So let's admire all of them for for all their wonderful achievements that they've accomplished so far in their careers and let's hope they continue to, to accomplish even bigger and better things. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think they're all unbelievable. When we're talking about Zidane, like he was just... I mean, for me in particular, he was one of the first players I remember, you know, kind yeah. of growing up, watching... And I just... Like, he was mesmerising. He was brilliant. It was also my mum's biggest crush. It went uh, him, then you, then Aaron Hamill from the Saints, and then my dad. I'm disappointed, uh, like, you're saying that I'm number two. That's, to Zizou, though, mate, that's pretty I, good. But I've got more hair than he has. Yeah, well... Mm. Oh, ouch. <laughs> ouch. <laughs> Give me another drink. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Mark, speaking of having another drink, uh, we saw, I think was it this time last week, we didn't have the chance to, to touch on it during our, our Four Sharp Gagan Pods episode, but we saw a quote that I think potentially could be on a T-shirt for, for the Two Sharp Reds. It was a, a quote from Wesley Schneider who believed, and this is paraphrasing here, but he believed that he reckons he could be, he could have been as good as Messi and Ronaldo, but he loved food and wine too much. You know, and you, know, you just go, unbelievable. You know the so thing about respect. that? Unfortunately for Wesley Schneider, right? And yeah, he was an excellent player. Should have been, could have been, would have been. You know, also was though, you know, he was no, a professional. He, yeah, but he wasn't, you know, you can't, you can't even talk about Wesley Schneider in the same breath as Messi or Ronaldo, no. for example. But he was, a, he was a phenomenal player, absolutely, 100%. I mean, it's easy to say afterwards, if I didn't eat, if I didn't drink, if, you know, I would have been this, I would have been that. Well, that's great to have belief in your own ability. But one thing is saying it and believing you could have done it. The other thing was actually going out and doing it. And that in itself is an accomplishment, having that discipline and that dedication to accomplish it. I mean, don't get me wrong, Wesley Snyder, you, you, you saw glimpses and you just went, wow, this guy really kicks on. He's, he's, a, yeah. he's a little bit like Eden Hazard at the moment. Right. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. in terms of everything about him, you know, body shape, there's similarities, you know, puts on weight really quickly. The last, the, the, the image that I have of Wesley Snyder in my, face, in my head right now and unfortunately, it's the lasting image that I have is when he went to one of those, I went to a Spurs game and he sat, he was sitting down. As he sat down, there's that picture of him where he's, he's, his stomach is just hanging over everything. And you just kind of go, and then listen, he's retired. He's up to, you know, you can do whatever yeah. you want. But unfortunately, it's just, that's my lasting image of him. And then yeah. when he comes out to say, I love food and I love wine too much, uh, as, he's Shock tuck, as he's tucking into a hamburger and chips, <laughs> of course. That's obvious. You didn't need yeah. to put someone. You've got to live life, don't you? Especially like, yeah. I mean, you, you talked about it before. I mean, I was interested to hear when you said that you, when you played in Germany, you would often have, uh, was it raw steak or raw? Yeah, mince, mince. Yeah, from yeah, the service that, station. That, that, yeah, but that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a normal. That's a norm in, in, in uh, Germany, in Austria. Yeah, yeah, steak tartare. You have it here as well. It's yeah, no, no, no. That's no, but that's not my point. That's fine. But from the service station yeah, is but, where I think I might. But I'm saying it, it's a very normal thing to have in Germany. So mm-hmm. they they have it in service stations because people eat it all the time, and it's yeah. it's fresh. And 
I, I mean, it has to be. Otherwise, people will be like fully ill left, right, and center, and people don't because it's yeah. so good. It's right, so fresh. Okay. So then what about the Bayern Munich? We see their celebrations not only when they, if they win a trophy, but during Oktoberfest. It's a pretty big tradition to make sure you get involved with that. Do they also get involved with the food side? Like a, or is there one with Oktoberfest? Yeah, there, there, there is. But have a, look at, have a look at their players. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're very, okay. there are very few players these days. There are some, but there are very few that live that excessive lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so difficult to do it. You know, and the yeah. ones that do, there are. Like Balotelli, he's yeah. lived that excessive lifestyle. And he still lives it to an extreme. Everything he does, he does it in, 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 at an extreme. And therefore, that's why he's floated from team to team and slowly gotten down lower and lower. There's no doubting he had an unbelievable amount of ability. But for one reason or another, he, he's, always, he's, always, he's always floated on the edge of... Yeah. Not wanting to stick to rules, not wanting to, he wanted to be different. He wanted to do things differently, had his own opinion on things, you know, and, and that's why those sort of guys, and same with Wesley Snyder, you know, didn't probably really like to conform to rules and be fit and, and have a go of it and go, you know what, I've got 10 years at the very highest, maybe 12 years, yeah. and I'm going to give it everything. I'm going to try and be the best I possibly can. You know, but there, there are that, there are those. But there are so many more players that are these days, and actually not even these days, there are so many players I've come across throughout my career who were ability-wise, were average. Like natural raw ability. Whatever they developed was done through hard work, dedication, prepared to run through brick walls to do it. The The guys that are generally on the edge are the guys that have got something really special. And they get lazy. Because they think, I've got it. I don't need to work on it. I don't need to work on anything else. Because that thing that I've got that's special will get me out of all the trouble of worrying yeah. about whether I need to be more mobile, quicker, stronger. I'll be fine. You know, uh, Mido is another classic example. Mido was an unbelievable talent when he was coming through at Ajax, um, when he left Egypt. I mean, he was playing in the first team in Egypt, at, I think six, 15 years old, he made his debut. He went to Ajax, uh, in, eventually went to Ajax, went to another club in Holland, went to Ajax. I mean, he was just very young and feisty and didn't want didn't to stick to rules. And, and, but he had ability. I played with him at, at, at Middlesbrough. And I remember, you know, watching him just going, wow, he's got something. I remember him at Spurs. There's something about, he's got his technical ability, the way he strikes the ball, his touch. Um, he got a work rate. But the problem was he, he just didn't have that real discipline. He has it now which yeah. is amazing. It's incredible. He has it now. And I've spoken to him about it. And, you know, we have a bit of a laugh about it. And, and it's just, it's amazing. You know, the way that players either see it at the end when it's too late, those who have got that special ability and don't realize it at the time, well, they realize it, but they rest on it. They rest mm. on that ability, that laurels, and just think the rest will come. That doesn't happen anymore because you've got so many players who work extremely hard. They work on every aspect of their game to better them. Because not everyone is gifted with the amazing talent like Messi, Ronaldo, uh, Maradona, Pelé, whatever. And I'm not disregarding them because what they've done as well, what Ronaldo's done, what Messi, more so Ronaldo, I believe, has worked on it even more. Mm. And he's become so much better because he's worked harder. Messi, to a degree, like with a ball at his feet. Apparently, he never does anything without a ball at his feet. You know, he's got a football pitch in the back garden. He's out there kicking balls, kicking free kicks all the time. 
So I remember the story was when Masciano went to uh, Barcelona, they would not, the club would not allow him to live next door to Messi because the house was available next door. They wouldn't allow him to live next door. You know why? No. Because they, they were worried that Messi would get on the phone to him or you know, yell over the fence, get over here, get in my back garden, let's play football, and they never would have rested. Yeah. Because they were that, they're just that obsessed with it, you know? And, and yeah. that's the difference. And that's where the admiration comes even more. Right? People go there, they're freaks. No, 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 they work at it as well. They work incredibly mm. hard and they deserve to be where they are. And I admire, not- I admire someone like Ronaldo incredibly. I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan in terms of, you know, everything else, the, the, the whole circus that goes around it. But I admire what he's done. I respect unbelievably the, the work ethic that he has, the, 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 the work rate he puts in to better himself off the pitch physically. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's an unbelievable specimen. Do you, do you not feel bad then for, for these people that are sort of almost missing out on a bit yeah. of life experience? I, I I mean, or is that just what you have to give up? That's just, that I, I feel sorry for them. I feel, I, I, feel, I feel like it's such a shame that they haven't realised it. Or they've realised it, but they just don't have the, the mental strength to, 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 to combat it, to, to deal with it. To, or the, or the, they feel like there's a need or an urgency to actually get hold of it and make themselves better for it, you know? Mm. I mean, the, the classic is Eden Hazard, you know? Like, you know, when I was at Chelsea, say to him, Eden, you know, like, mate, you've got to play that every week. He goes, remember this, the first season I was there, he goes, he, he rugs his shoulder and goes, some weeks I play well, some weeks I don't. It's just the way it is. And it, but it was through lack of application. It was more through, it was that, that was the reason. Lack of discipline and application. He didn't better himself every day. He just allowed his talent to, to run riot. So you can imagine, you see this guy, and it's an incredible talent, and he still turns people inside out. So you can imagine when they really worked. So there was a couple, like the season after I left, he, or even the season, the half of the season I was still there, he actually came back fitter. He, he worked on his game. He worked harder at training. And he was, he was phenomenal. Then he moves to Real Madrid. What happens? Mm. He's he turns, gone on the Oli Gill diet. He turns up overweight. I mean, mm. who does that? I mean, yeah. it's like, it, you know, who, who goes for, who signs for Real Madrid and turns up, you know, seven, eight kilos overweight that he did yeah. when he came back to training? That used to happen all the time. That, this is just unacceptable these days. And that's, that's led to his season being like it is. He's come back. He would have had fun doing it, though. He came back and then he got injured. And then yeah. he's had injury after injury throughout the course of the season because he's trying to play catch-up. They're trying to work him harder. There's games on. They're trying to play him in games. It's so difficult. And he keeps breaking down. Maybe now, it looks like, I mean, by all accounts, he played really well on the, week, um, on the weekend. So hopefully he's fitter. He's ready to go now because he's a phenomenal player. Mm. And he should be regarded as one of the top, top players around Europe. He does for a little bit and then drops away again. He just needs to find that consistency and that discipline because he's got everything. Mark, speaking of consistency, how have you enjoyed your fine burgundy grape this afternoon? Yeah, listen, it's nice. Very light. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's got a silky texture. Mm-hmm. Uh, really enjoying it, mate. Really enjoying it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to massively agree with you. I've gone for a Merlot. Not traditionally what I'm after, but... Just because I'm only having the one glass of it, and I always find like a Merlot's just a really nice one to just have a glass. I could, I don't know. Whereas for me personally, a Shiraz, I'll, I'm more than happy to have a bottle or two, you know, shared. <laughs> shared, I said yeah, shared. Uh, yeah, you with just dinner. got. You just got that in in the end. <laughs> yeah, me and me and Hazard and and Schneider, we're <laughs> we're a big big plate of pizza and, and pasta as well. Um, 
Here in the two sharp reads, we do like to compare our wine to a player past or present. Mark, would you like to go first or would I? Would you give the honours to me? Which would you oh, I'll give the honours to you this week because yep. I normally go first, especially yeah. of late. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's a pretty simple one for mine. So it's the McGuinn Estate Merlot from Southeast Australia. Not exactly the type of vine I usually go for. Very close. I, I do like a South Australian or a Tasmanian. But Southeast, I think, is coming up a lot more in terms of uh, access to go, like going to the vineyards from when I lived in Adelaide to then Melbourne. It was a lot more celebrated to go to you know, the Adelaide Hills. Um, but southeast, you know, pushing outside of you know Victoria is really getting up there, and I've I've really enjoyed this wine. And it, it's simple for for mine. It says here, outstandingly intense, and they're spot on. I mean, I've had better wines in terms of outstanding, but it is intense, and and that's what I like in a wine. I always have, and oh, that's what I love in a player. Um, and there's one guy I thought. Who, who's outstandingly intense? Okay, so you can't just be outstanding. It can't just be intense. It has to be a bit of both. This guy for me, I mean, they're the two words I think of. That's Carlos Puyol. I just thought every time I got to watch him and watch more so, especially over the, this period, being able to watch back, you know, some real classic games. I, the way that he would speak to some of his defenders was brilliant. I loved it. You know, just going, like, I remember someone got hit in a Barcelona game. Like, someone someone in the crowd threw an object. Let's say it was a cigarette lighter or a coin. Hit a player on the head. And he was, oh, oh. And Puyo came, got it out of his hand, threw it over and shoved him back in the box. Go, come on, mate. We've got a corner coming up. <laughs> and you just go, how perfect. What a great teammate. Loved it. He was outstanding and he was certainly intense. Yeah, no, very good, mate. I'm just wondering, is that what you're going for? Are you going for the, the Puyol look as well once you get your perm? Jeez, well, I thank you. I think you are. Look, I'm not, but you will be pleased to know that I, as of today, I've been put on the waiting list for my local salon. Have to you? get the old moulet. Wow. Yeah, and, and, that, and when you say waiting list, is there any indication whatsoever as to how long that may no, be? No, not, not generally. It's a pretty small place. There's about four or five people who work there, and I'm assuming there's a bit of a backlog over the, from the last little bit, uh, but I'm, I'm on it. Have you used them before? Yep, to get my highlights done. Okay, so you've had experiences. Has anyone yeah. given you a recommendation in terms of what if you want to get a perm? Uh, well, no, I'm going to, what I'm going to do for the mullet is you can get it layered so it looks like it's permed. So if okay. you get every strand cut a different length, yes, then that will kind of uh, give it that look. So I'll do that, and then if it needs more curling, I'll, I'll get that done. But the good thing about uh, this place, D-Cook, it's called, it's great. It's getting your hair cut in front of art. So they don't have mirrors. Okay. Which is a very odd experience when you're getting your hair cut. Wow. So of some art installation, just taking it in for a good hour. And then, no way. And then they take you over and sit you down in front of just sort of a, uh, it looks like it should be a mirror, but it's sort of an empty glass. See? And they turn a light on, bang, the mirror appears. And then you're looking at it and you go, yep, I like it. Yeah, see, I couldn't do that, right? Because I've got to be really picky on who I get my cuts my hair. Because if they get it right. wrong, there's not enough around going around to make. What do they recovery. do for yours? What, 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 like, do you do a buzz cut, or is yours actually? No, no, no. no, no the bit of buzz, like, the bit of a buzz cut around the sides and around the back, and the rest is scissors. Mate, they've got to yeah. be careful. The top bits have got to be careful, mate. I, yeah. I've got to keep hold of them as much as I yeah. can. Got to be very selective in which ones they cut and not. Go it's dust. almost like a selective process. Can I cut yeah. this one? No, not that one. Next one. That's it. 
maybe you should get frosted tips that suggest like these are the Excuse safe me? areas to come. Excuse me? Get what? <laughs> frosted tips and you can go, okay, these are the safe ones, you know. Okay. <laughs> anyway, moving right along now. So, <laughs> so my wine is a Faustino 7 Rioja Tempranillo, really nice, light. It's got a silky texture. So I was thinking silky. Who's silky? Silky Grey Fox came into mind. Um, it's got a very crisp and dry finish. Mm-hmm. So Silky Grey Fox, who had a silky and a What, what would a dry finish be, though, in terms of football? Well, a crisp and then a dry. I would say a dry would be, oh, how would I describe being a dry finish? Um, Someone who's that they can know nonsense, just mm-hmm. does it, get on with it. Nothing too frilly about it. No, just, the shirt doesn't come off after you just go. Yeah, yep, no, I mean, yep. shirt would come off, but I mean, just the finish itself. It's more right. about a, a nice, quick, firm side yep. foot strike. Nothing flamboyant about the strike itself. Very dry, okay. very, very subtle. And um, so bearing that in mind, the crisp and dry finish, one player came to mind, particularly off the silky, silky grey fox. Um, who had who had that that look was 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 very crisp around the eight-yard block. Scored a sh- shed load of goals for Middlesbrough in a disastrous, in a very difficult season. We got relegated. Uh, scored thirty-one goals. I think it was fifteen in the league and sixteen in the cup. Got to two cup finals, lost both of them. And it was none other than he was European champion the season before Juventus. We signed him against nobody had a clue like what is going on. Fabrizio Romanelli turns up at Middlesbrough. So Brilliant! It's the it's the, it's the silky, crisp, dry finishing fox of. Uh, I love that, Fabrizio Ravanelli. What, what what do you mean? No one had a clue. Was it well, it was like, that, what are you doing here? Yeah, it's almost like, hang on, is this for real? We were talking about oh, yeah. a European Cup winner, Fabrizio Ravanelli's turned up at Teesside. Uh, I mean, I wasn't at the club at the time, but I remember when it was announced. I was just like, really? How is that even possible? You know, it was amazing. To be fair, though, every time that we talk about Middlesbrough, talk about a Middlesbrough player. You've had the same reaction, you know, Janino, same thing, uh, Caramba, same thing. Maybe, maybe we need to give Middlesbrough a, mo- a lot more respect and go, well, actually, there's must, there must be a reason as yeah, to why. You know, like, Janino, I understand because Janino was young when he, when he came across. He was, they, they signed him actually when they were, they were still in the, uh, I think it was the Championship or First Division at the time. I can't remember if it changed over already at that time. So they signed him and he played in the, the end of that season and then. He kind of made his breakthrough uh, in, into the Premier League season and he, he hit the ground running. It was phenomenal. So I think, I th- I think he, was a, he was a bit of a, a, a bit of a coup, but he turned out to be a bigger coup because of how well he played. Yeah. I don't think necessarily... I think they thought he'd be really good, but I don't think they thought he'd be as good as he was. Right. Fabrizio uh, Ronelli, you knew what you were getting. Yeah. yeah, European Cup winner, you knew what you were, uh, amazing player. So that, for me, was a real big surprise to sign a player of that stature um, like that and turning up at Teesside. He'd never been at Teesside, never, never seen it before, never knew where it was. Yeah. Just knew they were playing in the Premier League and they were prepared. Mark Schwartz was going to go there one day. Well, no, didn't even know that, obviously. wasn't even thought of at that time. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well, Mark, thank you for another great episode of the Two Sharp Reds. Make sure, uh, if you're listening, please give us a subscribe or a review. Every time I log on to check out the reviews, I go, Mark, you can't keep leaving these. Just talk, you seriously, like, I, I love it. It was all very well and good in the first week, but you're, you're just, you're smashing that review button. And I go, everyone can tell it's you. Yeah, well, that's do okay. they really? Do they really? Oh, I they think they, they, know it, they know it's me now, since you've said it. 
No, well, you can tell. Yeah, you, you go, just oh, let it out. Who's that hunky goalkeeper? And then you always slate me off, and it's not obvious. It's as obvious as that. That's actually not me. Oh, it must be mum. It must be mum. <laughs> it must be mum. And a reminder as well, you can join our Facebook uh, group. It's the Cool Kids Club. It's kind of like, you know, really being invited into the inner sanctum of it all. So go on to Facebook and it's Optus Sports 2 Sharp Reds. Uh, and we'll let you in and we talk all things football and wine in there, which is brilliant fun. So, Mark, cheers. And we'll look forward to, I guess, the next time we do this. Cheers, After mate. a weekend of Premier League. Cheers.